Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This episode of the Sartorial Geek Podcast is sponsored by Jordan Dene. Jordan Dene has all kinds of geek chic apparel and accessories. Our designs are hand-lettered and inspired by our favorite characters and stories in pop culture. We have tank tops that can be worn with a skirt, under a blazer, to the gym, and as pajamas. Please check us out at jordandenae.com and all over the internet at NYC. Hey, welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I'm Jordan Ellis of Jordan Denae, and I'm here with Danny Headland, who is the editor-in-chief of Friction, which is a literary journal. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of perfect because we have our magazine, which is not a literary journal, but we're like getting into all the types of nerdy fiction writing stuff. Um, and so it was really cool to hear about what you guys are doing. But for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain like what the journal is and how you guys got yeah, started? Of course. Um, so Friction is a literary journal that specializes in works that push the boundaries of convention. Um, for any of you who are familiar with literary journals, literary journals are traditionally pretty stodgy. Um, they only publish things that are grounded in our reality. Um, they very rarely take chances on new voices. They certainly don't do anything crazy like do expensive design and art because it's incredibly expensive and time consuming. And that's just yeah. kind of the same because literary journals are the way in which new writers are traditionally discovered. It's how literary agents take a chance on them. And it's also how we, as great readers, just kind of get to get to experience all these different worlds. So we had been a publishing house at our nonprofit for years. Um, the nonprofit is Brink Literacy Project that runs all of this. And we've been a really traditional publisher because that's what everybody else did. And we started to get really cool, weird submissions, some genre stuff, some comics, some editorial artwork. You know, the kind of thing you love so much that you immediately call up your mom and you're like, oh, my God, mom, there were vampires and penguins. I can't even get past Right, <laughs> And we couldn't accept those stories because that's not what we were approved to do. That's not what our contributing editors backed. It's not what I had pulled in funding for. So we just kept ignoring these pieces we really loved. And it got to the point at the end of 2014 where we were just like, hey, this is stupid. Like, we're not publishing the stuff that we are, you know, talking about for a year after we receive it. We're publishing this other stuff that doesn't enchant us. So fuck it. Like, let's create a literary journal that breaks all the conventions, that does everything we're told we can't do. So we started Friction, and we named it Friction intentionally because we wanted to rub up against people. We wanted to change the way people thought about the industry. And Jordan, that was um, really hard. <laughs> I lost about half overnight. Yeah, seriously. And um, yeah, but we loved it. We loved our job in a way we never had. Uh, I was just going to say for anyone who can't see it, I like the way it's called friction with the R like in parentheses. That's perfect because it's, you know, fictional and also friction. That's just very nice. Nice work. <laughs> Thank you. Whenever you can put the function symbol in anything, it's a good day. Yes. Um, yeah, so we, we started it, and it was, um, it was a difficult uphill battle that first year. Um, we put out calls for genre work, and people just thought we were lying. Like, they couldn't possibly yeah. do sci-fi stories, because that's not what literary journals do. Um, 
but yeah, we started gaining some really great momentum. And um, Jordan, as you can see from the issue in front of you, it's just jam packed full of custom artwork. We have an art team on five different continents that illustrate every single story and poem and creative nonfiction piece. So that's what I was going to ask. So the, the artists are um, staff, like you pair the artists with the, with the pieces. Yeah, so once a story or, or so a poem cool. or um, a flash fiction comes in, we sit down with the art team and we say, okay, like what kind of story is this? Is it a grittier piece that we should assign out to that great tattoo artist we know down in Barcelona? Or is this like something that needs a fine art feel from that guy we have in San Francisco? So we have all these different kinds of styles and we want to really enrich the reading experience. So we're really particular about pairing them. And I also work as the art director. So I go through so many rounds of thumbs and color coordination to make the whole thing feel really vibrant and unique. And it's beautiful. Like, I don't actually even know if I've ever read a literary journal because that's not like the field I grew up in at all. And they honestly always look pretty boring. And this doesn't look boring at all. So like you totally nailed it. Um, it's gorgeous. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it was. Um, it's obviously really expensive and time consuming to do those sort of color. And we do cool spot effects on all of the covers. Um, but that's one of the reasons that we grew so quickly. We're actually the fastest growing literary journal in the world. And wow. it's just because we're really different. So people are constantly coming up to me and asking me like, hey, we've been publishing for 10, 15, 20 years. We've never been able to get into Barnes & Noble. How did you do it? And the simple answer is we just dared to be really different than everyone else. So it really stands out on the shelf. And I think it's pretty clear that we are so idiotically in love with that journal that we just like pour every piece of our heart and soul into it. So is this a quarterly publication? It actually is triannual. So it comes out three times a year. That is awesome. And like totally makes sense that it would, you know, how, how big and how well done this is. Like I can see how it would be really hard to do like really often. So it's, it's really cool that you guys uh, like put all the work into doing it. Um, a couple times a year. I think that really shows. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Um, so how do you find the writers? Is it all submissions or do you have like a base of people just from your previous work in the field or like how, how do you put together your issues? So it's really multifaceted. Um, most established literary journals, um, rarely take anything from the slush. And the slush is when um, unrepresented writers just send us work. So we receive, it's like 15,000 submissions a year. Um, wow. And that's just anybody sending short stories or comics or whatever that, you know, they're, they don't have an agent to send work out for them, but you know, they're in that early stage and they want to get their work read. So that's called the slush pile. And most literary journals do not pull from the slush pile because it's a lot of work, but we have a policy that 30% of our work. Yeah. 15,000 is crazy. Six people that just read for the journal. It's massive. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so um, it's a lot of work to pull from Slush because a lot of times authors aren't ready or they need a little bit of edits and a lot of journals won't do it. Um, I actually poached a kid from the Paris Review who I absolutely love. And when I told him that we read from the Slush, he thought I was hazing him. And I was like, <laughs> no, we, we absolutely do that. Um, so 30% comes from Slush because it's really important for us to champion brand new voices. And That's super cool. We're able to do that because our partner organization, Brink, has a whole bunch of incubators that help new creatives. So we have cool programs called the free editing program. And we just have an entire staff of editors that will give you feedback 
on everything you send. And that's really important because as a new creative, you're sending work out into the ether and you're just getting these blanket rejections that are like, dear author, you know, thanks for sending this in, but it doesn't fit our aesthetic. And you have, you have no idea what that means, Jordan. That could mean yeah. you know, you're 10% away or it could mean that's literally the worst thing that's ever been committed to paper. <laughs> right. so, but you don't know. <laughs> so we do a lot of feedback on that. But of course, the way to sell a literary journal is to put celebrities on the front. So yeah. we have an entire outreach department that just reaches out to all these great authors that bring in, you know, Joyce Carol Oates and Jeff Vandermeer and Chris Moore and all the big names where someone will walk into a Barnes Noble and be like, oh, yeah, no, that's good. I've never heard of this journal, but like this is a big name. I'll pick it up. And we also do a contest, which allows us to give um, a substantive amount of money to new creatives um, in response to the work. So that's that's mostly where it comes through, though. Comics, we have a comic in every issue. We do something really stupid with that, which is we literally help comic writers all the way through. So they pitch stories to us and then we help them go through scripting and paneling and art. Oh my gosh. Comics is a weird industry and it's almost impossible to break into because it's just expensive to print. So yeah, yeah, we really idiotically spend about $20,000 a year just being like, let's help three people this entire year get published. It's dumb, but we love it. That's so cool though. I mean... I love, like, everything you just said. I mean, you've been saying it from the beginning. It This isn't done, but, like, it should be. Like, you should be able to find new writers next to, like, super famous and well-known writers. And you should, like, if we want new talent to get anywhere without it just being, like, random luck every time, I feel like we need organizations like yours to make it actually possible but I totally hear what you're saying that it is super super hard (laughs) like it would be easier to just go with pros the whole time and be like we'll make this easy on ourselves by just doing you know the base thing that everyone else is doing but it's super cool the amount of work that you guys put into making sure it's like different that's awesome thanks so much yeah it's, it's really important to the ethos of the entire nonprofit of friction I started Brink when I was 19 years old, and it was after I had published my first book as a teenager, and it was just a ridiculously difficult, stupid, heartbreaking, cry-myself-to-sleep sort of experience, and by the time the book was actually out, I wasn't so taken with the accomplishment, but how close I came to giving up, and I thought of all those creatives out there that are much more talented than I am, that are saying much more important things, and you know, they're, they query their book a couple times, they get a couple rejections, they don't really know how to fix it. And then these beautiful stories just get shoved into a shoebox and put under a bed and they just die. And that's heartbreaking. I want to make sure that the voices that change the way that we think about the world and about ourselves are always championed, no matter how hard it is. So friction is just a kind of a little piece of that larger kind of idiotic ethos that drives everything we do. Oh, that's so cool. So what else does the um, what else does your parent company do besides obviously this this journal that we're talking about? What other projects do you guys work on? So Brink at its core is a literacy nonprofit. And that that isn't just giving people the ability to read. It's making sure that great stories are still there to inspire people. If you're not going to connect to great literature, there's no point in pushing literacy. Um, so there are projects we do where we nurture writers and we do things like friction, which allows us to make sure great stories are bringing, are being brought into the world. But 
there's also all these other voices that never get a chance to be heard. So a huge part of what Brink does is going into underserved communities and lifting those voices up and using storytelling as a way to empower people. So we work in max security prisons where we use like a very cool graphic novel memoir program to help women in maximum security distill a single turning point in their lives into a comic. And comic allows us to combat the really low literacy issues in prison. We're looking at 70% in the U.S. prison reading at the very lowest level and 45% are functionally illiterate. So it's obviously a huge issue in our prison system. So we do a lot of projects like that. We work in homeless shelters. We work in dense urban areas. We work in very low-income high schools. And everything we do aims to get people passionate about literature, to increase their literacy rates, but to foster a love for the kind of vision that goes into telling their own story. That's so cool. That's like every single thing that I love. <laughs> that's so amazing. <laughs> How big is your staff? Because that's that's so much stuff. Oh, our our staff is big. I I just got the count. I think it's fifty six now. And I remember sitting down with my people and being like, "I'm I'm sorry, what?" But since we're a small nonprofit, that's so we're amazing. Run. So we have a core group of paid leadership that runs about fifty. <laughs> Um, volunteers and those volunteers are doing everything from going directly into prisons to um, working with our writing community to mentor them to teaching in high schools so we have all these passionate really amazing people on five different continents that are helping us bring this vision forward and we primarily work in the U.S. the U.K. and a wee bit in Southeast Asia so we're kind of all over the place. That's so amazing (laughs) I love that so much that's so cool so um, is there like one place where people can find everything or is it sort of separate? Like where where do all those different projects live? So you can find access to just about anything if you just want to learn about it um, at brinklit.org. And that will kind of let you into all the other publishing units and that sort of jazz. But we also... You can also just like come hang out with us at weird places. Like we do all the comic cons. Um, we we have a happy hour in Denver if you're randomly there, where we drink a great deal of beer and usually argue about which Harry Potter house we live in. Um, I want to go to that. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Yeah. yeah, we tried to figure out which house we thought friction would be in, and it was literally the largest fight my staff has ever had. I, like, okay, I believe that a hundred percent. And you guys do cons and stuff yeah, too? Yeah, That's we awesome. Do portfolio critiques for several comic cons. So um, creatives will come in and we'll help them figure out what they need to do to actually get work in the industry, which I really love doing. Wow. That is so cool. And then what kind of, um, if someone who's listening is like, this sounds incredible, what is the volunteer process? Like, how does that work? So I'm, I'm not saying I want to grow up to be a cult leader. But I mean, we have a really, you know, <laughs> we have a really strong dedication to only hiring up through our internship program. And that's okay. because if I'm going to have someone in a paid capacity who is navigating the way that our entire company works, because I give my leadership a great deal of autonomy, I want to make sure that if they have an idea and they have a vision, they can just go for it. So that means that pretty much everyone I hire comes through the internship program. And we have three internship programs every year. Um, I think five interns go into each one. And then we hire the best out of that. It's like a 12-week program. It teaches you everything you really need to know about 
um, content and line editing, how you would work in the publishing industry. The whole point of it was, as I'm sure we all know, there's so many people with degrees in arts and literature, and they're just like working at Chipotle because the industry is yeah. so difficult to, to navigate. So we wanted to create a bridge between universities and actually working in the industry. So that's kind of where the internships evolved. But I just steal the best people for me. Um, yeah, so that's the most very smart. To get involved. But there's also, um, there's also programs where you can just read for friction. Um, there's obviously like an enormous amount of training and nonsense, but we always love readers. We always love people that kind of want to get involved in that capacity. So if you want to get involved, I just recommend emailing us and telling us what you like, and then we'll find something that works out. That's so cool. I, um, I just am obsessed with everything you just said. That's awesome. I really wish Liz was on the call too, because she, um, our co-host, uh, who is getting married, um, this week, which is why she is not here right now, but she did all the literary stuff. She's a law librarian right now. So like of the two of us, this is up her alley, but I actually went to school to be um, an elementary school teacher. That was like my background. So all of the ways that you're, working with literacy is like hitting me right in the feels. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> and um, I know you said you're in that friction is in Barnes and Noble. Are you guys in stores like all over or what's the best way to like, can people subscribe and get it mailed to them? How does that yeah, work? So we are in, I think it's, it's 1200 um, stores in the U S the UK and Canada. So Barnes and Noble, all the big wow. million, all of that jazz. So you can run by and, pick a copy up. You can also subscribe. It's cheaper. And then stuff comes in the mail, which is always exciting. Um, yeah. So yeah, either of those ways works really well. Um, some people are very fervently in, in the camp of one thing or the other, but we're happy that anyone wants to buy our books in any capacity. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I like that a lot. However people want to do it. That's awesome. Um, do you guys have, do you have like a, not to make you pick a favorite, but do you have like a favorite story that has come through or like a favorite like type of thing that you've seen since um since starting this I know like I never mean like number one favorite because I that's sort of a mean question but like a favorite thing well um in in terms of issues um the last issue we put out friction 11 is island theme and that's Oh, pretty cool. much the weirdest thing we've ever done. Like usually themes for literary journals are pretty nebulous. You can branch a whole bunch of stuff under it. But we literally just found like 20 pieces of work that were about islands or like intense isolation. <laughs> and I just had so much fun with that journal. Like the story that opens it is a heartbreaking story about a vampire like losing the love of his life. And somehow, Jordan, it's also about penguins. And it shouldn't work. Oh my gosh. And it made me tear up. And it made me just love everything about literature. So that that whole journal just felt like this really magical adventure. And we found an original comic about the island of the dolls in Mexico. And it was just, and there's some random cannibalism. I don't even get it. It's just so <laughs> um, But what do you think about Doesn't that feel great when the weirdest things combine? Oh, yeah. You're like, okay, I have a whole journal about islands and it works. And there's vampires and oh, God, it was so penguins and whatever. And the cover art is just so badass. Like it's just, it's, oh, I love it. Um, is that still available yes. now? Like, can people still get that? That just okay, came out about cool. three weeks ago. So um, it's sold out in a couple of Barnes and Nobles, but you can be sneaky about it. All right. Um, so guys, go pick that up. That sounds amazing. But I think when I think of a story that just really 
like really, really made me know that what we were doing with Friction was the right thing is a story that's in the end of Friction 1, which I would love for you guys to go out and get, but it's sold out. So this is just going to be a total dick move of me to even tell you about it. You know what? That's what happens, though. It's okay. (laughs) So it is a submission that is called Cretaceous Bro. And it came in from an unpublished author. And my one of my senior editors at the time was at a coffee shop with me when we were reading these submissions. And I just look over and he's crying because he cannot stop oh laughing. He's got this huge hipster view. He's full of these tears. And he's just like, boss, I have got to read this out loud to you. And I'm like, well, that can't I just read it myself? And he's like, no, no, no. And the narrative is from a frat boy told in frat boy A's about oh my time gosh. where he buys some mushrooms from a hobo shaming drug dealer, puts them on a pizza to get his girlfriend to quote unquote chill the fuck out. But apparently they're still <laughs> traveling mushrooms and they take him back to the oh, period. To which he is, of course, then, you know, chased by dragon I mean by dinosaurs. And it is so funny. Oh At the end of it, Jordan, it is this beautiful tale of like how millennial culture is told they can achieve anything they want in the world, but those things are ripped away from them. So it's a terrifying, sad story. Oh my God. It's so ridiculous. And to this day, I just, I remember him finishing reading that to me and like me literally holding my computer to my chest and being like, okay, what we're doing is right. Like what we're doing is 100% right. That is the most perfect, like, defining moment of a huge thing that I've ever heard. I love that so sure, much. It's so great. Like, the opening's like, bro, bro, bro. You know, like, when you thought it was the Jurassic period, but, like, it's not because, like, dinosaurs aren't even in that. It's the Cretaceous period. And I know this because, like, I've watched a lot of movies. <laughs> oh, I wish I could read it. But, I I mean, you know, I get it. It's uh, that was that was that like three years ago yeah, when your first yeah, issue came out? Yeah, we only printed I want to say like three hundred issues, and it took me like a year to sell them because everyone thought we were insane. But listen, I understand that struggle, <laughs> so I totally believe you. <laughs> are all of the are all the issues about the same size? Because this is like a this is like a hardy journal. Yeah, they're all the about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty pages. We've had like we had one hundred and sixty oh. for issue five. Because I fell in love with this like seventy-page comic, which was dumb, but uh, I loved it. I mean, that's awesome. Though. Yeah. So we try. We really try to keep them at one twenty. Like my publisher is constantly yelling at me about how heavy they are because there's thousands right. of them, and we have to pay to ship them. Right. But, you know, if you love something and it fits with the theme, you got to put it in there. Yeah. That's perfect. So issue 11 is out now. And then when does the next one come out? 12 comes out on December 15th. And it's also incredible. It's a taboo theme. So it's all of these really great stories that are pushing conventional boundaries. So of course, there's obviously things about sex because it's taboo. Um, But there's also really cool things about pushing gender identity and the point of literature. There's cannibalism because why wouldn't there be? Um, Like, what's the purpose (laughs) of science? How far should we push that? And Oh, it's just going to be beautiful. Wow. I'm so excited. That's so awesome. Um, so what's the best way for people to follow everything you guys are doing? Well, I am. Because it's all Kaylee, who is my marketing director, will absolutely kill me if I don't mention our social media channels. So I'm going to do that. 
Yes. Um, so you can follow Friction on Instagram, Twitter, and I think even Facebook. I think people still use Facebook. Um, and yeah. yeah. Is it just I, at Friction? I should know this because I run this company, but I literally do not know. <laughs> That's all right. We'll we'll link it uh, in the show notes. Um, <laughs> we'll 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 figure out what all the links are. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not a bad CEO. I just no. I mean, you have more important things to worry about, like managing all 56 people on staff. So I, I totally I get it. Do that. I literally have the world's best COO who just does all of that. I've had people come up to me at parties, and I'm like. Hey, I'm so glad you came. Like, you know, what brought you here? And the person will be like, Danny, I work for you. And I'm like, right. <laughs> okay, let me well, buy you a beer. So I don't think it's terrible. <laughs> I, I understand that though. <laughs> um, and then is there a way, what did you say the website is for the whole it's everything for people to check out? Ringlet.org. Perfect. Thank you so much for chatting. I'm so excited. I'm going to subscribe right now so I can keep... Well, actually, honestly, I'll subscribe and send them to Liz because she uh, is much better at reading everything than I am. <laughs> um, but I am so excited. Like, I'm such a sucker for for beautiful things and, I mean, and pictures and colors. And so this is probably the only literary journal I'm ever going to read, yeah, we but have people that I love it. To us and they're like, Oh, I love friction. I'm like, Oh, which stories do you love? And like, oh, we don't read it. It's just really pretty. We keep it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be like, oh, me, <laughs> which is terrible. Like a visual storytelling way. So I'm fine with that. Come on in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is so awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with us and telling everyone about oh, your company so for having me. I really appreciate it. So please go check out Friction. Um, if there's a Barnes & Noble near you, you should run in and grab one. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more of it, you can subscribe. Um, if you leave us a rating or review, that helps us out a lot. And you can also check out our Kickstarter, which is still going on, and our Patreon, which is always going on if you want to support. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you later. Stay nerdy. Bye. Bye.